it's totally. like even if you've never seen the sixth sense like if there's one thing you know about the sixth sense it's that the kid can see dead people and that bruce willis is dead spoilers, spoilers. This is Blockbusted, a podcast about the movies we love and how they shape the world as we know it. Hosted by Michael Wolf and Lily Asuda. Okay, wow. Well, thank you, everyone. Welcome back for week three of Blockbusted, your new favorite podcast about movies. Or if you're me, the only podcast you listen to that's not about true crime or disappointing facts about American history. Um, so this week we're going to be tackling Joker, courtesy of uh, Mr. Todd Phillips. And uh, yeah, Michael, I know you have a lot of a lot of hot takes about Joker. We have been going back and forth on the group chat for like a good five days. Um, yeah, I guess if we're gonna follow our basic structure about this movie, did you like it? Is it a good movie? And is this film important? Michael, what do you think? I did not like it. It's not <laughs> a good movie. It's not important. <laughs> wow, okay, very concise, thank you. Um, do you want to unpack those thoughts, maybe with more words? Not really. Okay. Well, thanks, <laughs> thanks for joining, everyone. <laughs> we'll see you next week. No. Um... I mean, it's just, it, it, like, I, um, you know, I grew up on Batman. I, uh, Batman used to be my favorite superhero as a kid. I remember, I have a, a love for uh, movies partially because of The Dark Knight which I watched like a sum like the summer when I broke my leg and I was like bedridden watching movies the entire time and so the dark knight and heath ledger's joker like had a sizable impact on me and like I'm getting this strong like rear window but like with uh, the dark knight from you like young <laughs> angsty michael just sitting inside watching the dark knight that is like really accurate yeah Excellent. that's that's totally accurate it was like the dark knight star wars and indiana jones so you know, wow. I hit all the stereotypical, like, teen boy, uh, like, blockbusters. How um, old were you? 13, because this came oh, out in oh, 2008. Oh. The Dark Knight Boom, came out in 2008. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I've been around with the Batman mythos for a long time. I've read a lot of the comics. Um, and I don't know. When, this, when I heard they were making this movie, I was like, why? And when you watch this movie, you're kind of like, why? And, uh, yeah, I, um, like, I think there's some really good craftsmanship in it. Like, don't get oh, me definitely. wrong. And I think Joaquin Phoenix, like, did a good job for what it's totally. worth. But. I feel like that's the one universal, like, agreement about this film. Everyone's like, wow, Joaquin Phoenix pulled out all the stops. And I'm like, yeah, totally. I don't know Very that he needed an Oscar, but. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. You can see him acting. What'd you, what'd you think? About this movie, so I've seen this movie, I had seen this movie once before prior to rewatching last week for this episode, and I, I think I'm really conflicted on the, like, did I like it? Because there's part of me that's like, like, I wanted to like it. I think I liked it more the first time I saw it. Not like I loved it the first time I saw it. Um, I agree. I think it's hard not to be impressed by a lot of, like, the visual, tonal craftsmanship, which is valid there's like some interesting moments um there's some compelling performances um but on the whole i feel like if the thesis of last week's episode within glorious bastards was like this is a movie that's not about anything 
This is a movie that feels like it is trying so painfully hard to be about something, and yet in the end sort of, um, I guess not even in a snooty way, but with even like a cursory degree of like analysis, right? And in, um, I think for you and I, like compiling notes for this episode of like, oh, like what's the thesis of this movie or what are they trying to talk about? Where I was just like, I honestly don't know. <laughs> like, it feels like, you know, I, I know a lot of the um, kind of backlash on this was about, you know, framework around mental illness or the idea that it glamorizes violence. And um, I, I think there's validity to those critiques, although that's not the bulk of what we'll be talking about today. Um, but it just feels like this very, like, over, again, overly simplistic, the podcast, everyone, overly simplistic working title for our spinoff podcast. Like, weird, like, white boy nihilism of, like, the conclusion is everything is bad. The world is bad. But it's like, the world is bad because individual people are bullies. You know, and it's like how, like, not the same thing, but it's like how I feel about high school movies where I'm just like, I don't know anyone who went to a high school where, like, what was wrong with high school was, like, individual jocks, like, beating up the gay kids. You know, I'm not saying that didn't happen, but as far as like, yeah, that's everyone's collective critique of high school. I'm just like, I don't, you know, like Ryan Murphy's version of high school. I just like, don't think that was real. And that's kind of how I feel about Todd Phillips's version of like humanity. I'm like, oh, the problem is just like these Wall Street guys beating up random poor people. I'm just like, I don't really think I'm not, maybe that, I'm not saying that never happens, but that doesn't feel like what's wrong with society. Um... And a movie that's, like, trying so hard to, like, sort of be political, but goes to great lengths to not be about race or police or government or politics. Um, and not that it's your job to always make a movie about those things, but it feels like this is a film that's trying to comment on those things, but then just, like, forgot to include that in the final draft. You know? <laughs> like... <laughs> oh, that is... like. That's painfully right, like accurate. that was sitting on a whiteboard somewhere and they just like never got around to like looping it back in. Yeah, I think I think Hollywood needs to have a real reckoning with like white boy wants to make gritty realism from the movie. Right. Uh, with everything. Uh, I saw a really good TikTok where some where somebody was like if it, it it was like a young black woman and she was like if I if I hear the word gritty or realistic, I immediately don't watch. Yeah. Like, because I, I, it's just like, it's just like the equivalent of like some white boys, like nihilistic, like take on the world that is just like so removed from, totally. from things. Totally. And I, and this was, um, I think in doing a little bit of like research on the director, Todd Phillips and sort of like what was his, I don't know, MO and making this movie or like what he had to say on like press junkets or whatever. And like, uh, looking at this quote, he says, the whole MO of the film was let's make a comic book film where we run everything through as realistic a lens as possible. And goes on to say that the purpose of the film was to quote, document mayhem and chaos. And I think I just really take offense or like, I'm just like essentially confused with this idea of like, we're going to document mayhem and chaos because I just don't, and I haven't verbalized this. I mean, I guess I'll be interested to hear your thoughts, but I'm like, I don't, I guess I don't really believe that like, abject mayhem and chaos is really a thing that happens in the world. Like, not that suffering doesn't happen or violence or atrocity, but the idea that, like, people are just randomly running around committing evil for no discernible reason feels like this very, like, narratively convenient idea of, like, good and evil that doesn't, in my understanding, really happen in real life. Right, that that's like overlooking like why people riot or why people 
engage in crime or sell drugs or whatever. And so the sort of like, oh, this is a quote, realistic portrayal of mayhem and chaos. I'm just like, where in the world is there just like random chaos? <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. And there's two things to that. Uh, and then we sh we can get into the like quick little summary of the movie for people. But like one is like the whole, like Todd Phillips surely doesn't even believe that because like he literally like has a theme throughout the script of like kill the rich. So like surely he right. is, he surely he is already connecting the dots between like, there is obviously a causation between inequality and why people do things. And then the second, totally. the second more important point is probably like, is, is probably, is probably something along the lines of, well, like people just choose to do bad things. Right. And like, right. as which if that doesn't, that's like, which undercuts like the whole point of the movie. Like if the whole point of the movie is like, let's explain why this man does bad things. But then ultimately the conclusion is like, well, because he just wants to watch the world burn. And I'm like, well, aren't those like counterintuitive viewpoints? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, like, really, the crux of this movie and the flaw of it from the start is, like, just on a basic screen light, screenwriting level, right? Like, if your protagonist is the Joker, right? then, and we all, we all know who the Joker is. It, it, if you don't know who the Joker is, you, you have been living under a rock. That's like, that's totally. like saying you don't know the plot of, like, uh, uh, oh, what's the M. Night Shyamalan movie? Um, oh, uh, the sixth sense. The sixth sense, like that's like saying you've never had that ending spoiled for you. It's totally. like even if you've never seen the sixth sense, like if there's one thing you know about the sixth sense, it's that the kid can see dead people, and that Bruce Willis is dead. Spoilers. spoilers. Twenty years later, you guys. Spoilers for the sixth sense. Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Yeah. So it's just I. It's it. Like, but like, if you're gonna make a movie about the Joker, right? Like, you're, you're doomed from the start because, like, if you're following basic screenwriting structure, like, our perspective on the character or the character themselves has to change in the end. And right. neither of those things happen right. in this movie. So then we're just supposed to assume that his transformation is, like into this like nihilistic agent of chaos is like what we should go for. Totally. Like, or and he would, he would like the person that he's always been, you know, like I think you could draw a parallel to like Walter White or something. And at least like, you know, the sort of audience satisfaction in watching Breaking Bad is that like Walt has always been this person. It's just like, you're slowly watching it leech out of him. You know, like he's been so repressed that like, he's never had the ability to sort of like act on these darker impulses. But it's like, if you apply that logic to Joker, Arthur Fleck, that it's like, he's always been a nihilistic lunatic. I'm like, well, then I don't know where you go from, you know, like, or if he's not, then like, then this feels like very pointedly apolitical of like, he sees injustice in the world. And his conclusion is like, I'm just going to randomly incite chaos and violence. Like, yeah, no, that's yeah. exactly right. Okay, great. Um, Michael, would you like to walk us through a brief summary of this film for folks who haven't seen it or have forgotten the finer points? I know we were talking about, I was also going to be a good sport and rewatch re the Dark Knight. 
uh, for this episode, and I did not because it's like nine hours long. And then I was like, I'm just going to read the summary of The Dark Knight on Wikipedia. And I was so confused by reading the summary that I was like, this isn't worth my time. Um, so I don't think Joker is quite that convoluted, but our audience may want a refresher on, uh, on what happens. If you'd like to walk us through, that would be great. Yes. So it's Joker. 2019 is the year it came out. It's directed by Todd Phillips. For those who don't know, he did the uh, the Hangover movies. Um, so as that well as such great hits as Due Date and uh, yeah. War Dogs. Um, I think that's like his whole canon right there. Um, yeah. And like the Hangover movies were funny at the time. I'm sure they didn't totally. age well. Uh, they have not. Yeah. Like, sounds about right, right? Um <laughs> Got a stacked cast. We got Joaquin Phoenix as Arthur Fleck, a.k.a. Joker. Um, it's never said whether or not he is the actual Joker that later becomes, like, Batman's oh. enemy. But, right, like, right. it's implied that he could be that. Um, then we got Francis Conroy, who plays his mom. Uh, we got Robert De Niro's in it as a... Uh, as like a talk show host, like a Jay Leno style uh, mm -hmm. talk show host. And then Zazie Beats from Atlanta is the oh, like shit. love interest. Yeah, yeah, she's cool. You got Bill Camp doing the Bill Camp thing of playing like the like no nonsense police detective. <laughs> and then Mark Maron is in it too as like Bill, uh, uh, as Murray Franklin's uh, producer. I wanted to say oh, Bill yeah. Murray for some reason. <laughs> That'd so, be sick. I'd love if Bill Murray was in this movie. I would. I'm surprised they haven't gotten him yet. You know, everybody's been in a superhero movie at this point. Like, oh, so. Yeah. Like, even Christian Bale's done the loop. Like, he's going to be in Thor 4. So he's, like, gone full really? circle. Yeah. So, like, surely they can get Bill Murray to be in something. It's only a matter of time. Only a matter of time. Yeah. So, really quick, the movie follows Arthur Fleck. He's this poor guy. Um, he works as, like, a like a sideshow clown. Like he literally takes odd jobs as a clown, like holding signs on the street. It opens yeah. with him getting mugged and losing his sign. Um, and uh, like having to chase, chase people, chase down some teenagers for his sign. He loses it. Um, and he's also really poor. He's struggling with some sort of mental illness. We don't know what, but he sees a social worker for this. Um, and the social worker and him don't really seem to connect um and but she's like kind of his lone uh grounding force too like clearly this is an inadequate form of mental health counseling or support but it's like the only thing that he's got we also know that he was recently institutionalized or he was recently released from uh some sort of institution for reasons that are not clear like depression question mark suicidal tendencies question mark um but we know he's kind of like recently back to living with his mom and hence why this uh, social worker my understanding was that this is required like he's not going there for fun he's like required to see her yeah he's required to see her um his illness uh or illnesses uh it's never said what he has causes like him to laugh uncontrollably which is like the allusion to the joker's laugh in the comics right. um because this is a hyper-realistic take on the Joker. So there's no, like, he doesn't have... There's no point in the movie where he ever falls into a vat of acid and his skin <laughs> turns white and his hair turns green. Right. Um, he... All of his stuff comes from the world. Um, his he So he lives with his mom, and he also takes care of her. 
and his mom is like not well his mom is named penny she used to work for the wayne family before right. she herself was institutionalized um and you learn that we learn that a little bit later um and so arthur's main thing is that he wants to be He's like an aspiring comedian. He worships a Jay Leno-style TV show host named Murray Franklin, played by Robert De Niro. Uh, he and his mom watch Murray every night. He uh, literally views Murray as a father figure and like has fantasy sequences with that. Um, all the same while, he like interacts with people, and people are just mean to him like throughout. His co-workers are... His coworkers are shitty. Uh, like he gets mugged, and one of his coworkers like gives him a uh, gives him a gun yeah. and says it's like he's doing this because he's his friend. And then later, like quickly rats out, quickly rats Arthur out to his boss. Like it's it's a it's a mess yeah. across the board. Um, and so like because he gets this gun, he uh, like he like accidentally like bring he he brings it to like. A children's hospital and it yeah. like falls out and so that causes him to like uh everyone sees it and so his boss fires him and then uh he like goes back to his social worker and his social worker's like the city's cut our funding and so you're losing your health care so you have nowhere to go for right. for your medication to talk to somebody or anything um and then the movie, like, kind of goes into these starts and stops where, like, Zazie Beetz uh, and her daughter are, like, his neighbor and he's, like, crushing on her and, like, flirting with her or whatever. Uh, and then, like, there's this this scene in the... Uh, there's this scene on, like, the train where uh, he, uh, he gets, uh, uh, like these three rich assholes who work for, uh, the Wayne company, uh, are harassing this woman. And so he starts like laughing. And so then they decide to harass him cause he's dressed like in clown makeup or whatever. And there's like a fight and he like kills all three of them with the gun. Right. And that's the like start of the movie. And then from there, the movie is a combination of him, like trying to make it as a comedian. Um, he discovering that his, uh, that from his mom that thomas wayne might be his father yeah um like he knocked her up while she was working as a maid for the waynes back in the day yeah and he's flirting with zazie beats the entire time and he like goes and performs in a comedy club and meanwhile the police come to question him because of uh the, the murders, the on, murders the on the train and then uh they like go to his mother and his mother like winds up having a stroke. And from there he like just, he like confronts Thomas Wayne learns that Thomas wasn't his dad. Uh, and, uh, that his mother actually like was, uh, institutionalized and that she had uh, adopted him. He was like abandoned as a kid and yeah. she was abused and she like sat by and watched while, while her like partner abused Arthur um, right. And so Arthur's... And they leave this, like, kind of ambiguous, right? Where, like, it's not clear because, like, Penny was obviously very mentally ill, but then she makes it sound like Thomas Wayne made her, like, sign a bunch of NDA forms and whatever because he didn't want anyone to know that he was Arthur's dad. So it's, like, so, sort of unclear as far as, like, how much of this is her being framed as a crazy woman versus this was a delusional fantasy she had versus 
Thomas Wayne was an asshole who framed her in this way. Um, yeah. But regardless, a lot of serious trauma on Arthur, and he is certainly led to believe that his mother is a liar, that she stood idly by while he was abused, and that uh, in the sense that he feels she's not even really his mom because he finds out he was adopted. Exactly. Um, and so he, uh, like, kills her uh, in the hospital as, like, revenge uh, for what happened. Um, and meanwhile, like, he has dis discovered... Um, uh, he has discovered that Murray uh, saw his uh, stand-up performance, got a hold oh, of his yeah. tape, and was... Uh, and, like, made... Like, brings plays a clip of his stand-up performance on his talk show. Murray plays a clip of Arthur's stand-up performance on Murray's talk show as, like, a joke and laughs, but later it's, like, they decide to, like, bring him on the show as a guest, and so it's, like, his big break. Yeah. Um, and all the while, he's just, like, slowly devolving mentally, um, and the killing the, of the three men has become, like, a hot flashpoint uh, because, like... The city is, like, devolving into chaos, and, like, a bunch of people are, like, joining a clown movement um, totally. that's loosely inspired by the killing uh, with the goal of, like, kill the rich. Uh, totally, which is super vague and, like, never really explained. Like, there's all this sort of language in the background of, like, oh, this city's gone to shit. Like, oh, you know, um, you know, people are people are upset they are struggling these are tough times but it's like but why are people struggling not because i don't believe as lily in real life that people are struggling or that like class inequality is a problem but like within the universe of the film it's this very ambiguous like people are upset with the rich but there's never really any concrete examples of like why like it's not that people are unionizing it's not that people are protesting a specific event that has happened um, so yes, there's this sort of backdrop of like angry people dressed as clowns who are upset and they don't like Thomas Wayne, but like, it's not even really clear why they don't like Thomas Wayne, like at all. Like, it's not even like, oh, he's like a Jeff Bezos type figure who's not paying his worker. Like there's literally never any context as to why this movement has happened. Um, but the whole film sort of exists over this backdrop of the Wayne family in general um, and, you know, certainly as world building into the Batman universe, um, but how that sort of, yeah, both as Thomas Wayne as this, you know, sort of daddy issued parental figure in Arthur's life and sort of abstractly like what the Waynes represent as wealthy people, but is never specifically unpacked or explored. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I would completely agree. And, uh, there's a lot I would like to talk about with the portrayal of Thomas Wayne, because it's one of the few things about the movie totally. I actually like. Um, but the movie, so the movie kind of like comes to a head. You learn that like all of his like fantasies, all of these like uh, interactions that he had with Zazie Beetz's character were a fantasy in his head. Uh, they were ever, never actually interacting. He was like hallucinating it the whole time. Right. Uh, and then he decide he goes on, he like has an interaction with his coworkers, like the one who gave him the gun and ratted him out. He kills his coworker. Uh, oh, in his apartment yeah. and then yeah. he then he like goes on the show and this is the first time like he, he he goes to go on murray's show and this is the where he like has really transformed and this is the first time he's in his full like joker getup that you see on the poster of the movie with right. the clown makeup and everything and he like dances down the steps and like 
runs away from like Bill Camp and the who's playing the police and they because they're trying to chase him and he uh, he like runs away from them and goes on Murray's show and uh, he like goes on Murray's show and like basically like calls Murray out like isn't it's it's very clear that people in the audience don't find him funny um, but then he like and but then he like calls Murray out basically because Murray's like you're not funny like and he like he admits like uh that he killed those guys and Murray's like I don't think this is a this is a very good thing to admit Arthur uh you're a horrible person look at what you did and he's like but you brought me on the show to make fun of me so are you any better uh and then he's like knock knock Murray and then he like shoots Murray live on the air um and like dances in front of the camera there's a lot like, of dancing in this film a lot, a lot of, of dancing Joaquin phoenix dancing there's a lot of a lot of panic in the studio he gets arrested uh the whole city like devolves into chaos there are like riots everyone's wearing clown masks and just lighting things on fire crashing <laughs> ambulances into places uh right you know it, how people are you know how the poor are they yeah those dumb pores those dumb pores they're so mentally ill you know and so they just go and they just they just burn things down because antifa and incels they're all the same they're just dumb insane pores right you know uh and so then uh in the chaos um in the chaos of the film uh thomas and martha his wife leave the theater with the young bruce wayne they are this is the night they're seeing zorro um and uh some random person in a clown mask decides to kill them. And that is like where Bruce Wayne's parents die. And that becomes the origin for Batman later on. Meanwhile, the, the movie really ends with like this weird, like upbeat rock song playing as Arthur's being (laughs) driven away to prison in a cop car. But is that's derailed because, uh, some other clown in an ambulance crashes into the cop car and frees him and he like dances on top of the cop car in front of the crowd and it's this like really weird melodic strings that i think are supposed to be sad like martyr music and you're like right, supposed right. to feel sad that he's a martyr but in actuality he just the imagery just makes him look like a total uh a total hero uh, totally. and the movie ends with him in Arkham State Hospital being interviewed by another like healthcare worker uh and he like murders her and and then he and all of the inmates escape the the facility well i don't know the inmates do but he definitely does um oh yeah uh, well i don't know a lot of white outfits i got the vibe that there were there were multiple inmates but yes regardless arthur escapes and then we get a really snazzy independent film yellow font that tells us the end um yep just in case you forgot that you were watching a masterpiece of art and not a franchise film yeah, you could you could tell Todd Phillips is really proud of his work in this movie. Um, totally, you know it's it's got all the aesthetics of director who who is really proud and trying really hard. So totally, that could really be the short summary of this film. Very proud, trying really hard, <laughs> Joker. <laughs> yeah, so shall we dive into like this? Yeah, well, shit, there's just so much to unpack here. I think we were just either bemoaning or celebrating, you know, at least, like, some of uh, previous topics, like in Glorious Bastards, I was like, oh, that was very research-heavy. Um, there was a little bit more digging as far as what do we want to talk about. And this just feels like the layers of, like, 
I guess problematic, but also just like weird, like logical fallacies that never seem to go anywhere um, is definitely several hours worth of content. Um, I guess what I would like to open with, and we don't need to harp on this for too long, but if kind of the guiding question for um, any of the films we're discussing is like, well, what's the thesis of this film? Um, and again, a film that feels like it's going to such great lengths to try and offer some really nuanced thesis or commentary, be it on poverty or mental health or uh, violence. Although Todd Phillips, like all of his quotes around this film were like, this is a film about our loss of humanity as a society, which feels very weird because again, like his commentary is essentially like individual people are mean and that's what's wrong with society. Like the world is full of bullies and that's where we've gone wrong, which just feels like woefully inadequate and like oversimplified and like makes no sense. Um, and not true. And just, not true. Just not true. Um, but I don't know if you've seen the SNL parody of this film where it's like called Grouch, where it's just like Oscar the Grouch, but this movie. And I just watched that recently and it cracks me up. It's excellent. We'll link it in the description. But I'm like, that feels like about as nuanced as this movie ever gets of like the thesis of this film is that people are trash and the world is trash. And that's what this movie is telling you, which, yeah, feels both untrue and like kind of dangerous and also not very interesting. And I guess I'd like to link this back to the idea of realism or grittiness, as our friends on TikTok may say. Um, and that Todd Phillips or this movie is certainly not alone in trying to commend that. I think we often link the word gritty to the phrase anti-hero, and that's a whole other category of stuff. Um, but I guess I'm just sort of disturbed by the idea that the only thing to me that feels, quote, realistic about this movie is its depiction of violence. Right? Like, compared to other superhero movies, I would say, yes, it is a much more realistic depiction of the consequences of violence, as in the immediate aftermath of, like, oh, we are watching these people suffer as a result of being knived or stabbed or shot in the face. Um, like, like the grittiness is synonymous with visual gore. But beyond that, this feels like such a pointedly non-realistic portrayal of society, and not even in, like, a rose-tinted glasses like oh because I believe the world is great but that everything about this film is strategically very stylized and not realistic which is sort of its entire gimmick so I find it interesting that the director's description of this film is like oh we wanted to create this very lifelike world in a world that to me feels arguably more cinematically artificial than any superhero movie <laughs> that is such a take that, it, yeah. that I completely agree with. You know, it's really interesting because, like, the people who critique this movie, like, the critiques that were coming out, there was a lot of buzz about this movie before it came out. And a lot of it was from, like, liberals who were very, very, like, oh, this movie is just going to be peak incel culture. And, like, it's just going to, it's going to cause violence. And there was, like, some real fear around it in the sense of, like, uh... So what happened when The Dark Knight Rises came out in 2012, that was the sequel to The Dark Knight, um, some guy dressed up as Heath Ledger's version of the Joker and shot up a, a midnight premiere of The Dark Knight Rises in Aurora, right. Colorado. And it was really tragic and really, really sad. It's and horrible. so, yeah. And so people were looking at this movie and going like, this is just going to inspire more of that shit, right? Like, this is the totally. opposite of what you want to do. And I, I mean, like, I feel like, I feel like 
there is a more nuanced conversation that can be had about like violence um, and the role of like violence in like inspiring things. Like it's it's an oversimplification. Like when when you know you hear it all the time when like Christians are like, well, the reason the world's right. shitty is because young people right. play Grand Theft Auto and that right. teaches them terrible things. And it's like totally. It's like it's really not as simple as that. Right. Um, You're like maybe that's part of it, but also maybe it's because they're like drowning in student debt and they don't have health care. Like maybe we could do those things also. <laughs> right. Like there are there are deeper things at play when somebody decides to shoot up uh, any place. Right. Like, um, but it's just it's it's weird that like like what's weird in watching this movie is like this movie is like like you were saying earlier, just so not about anything that it's like it's like i guess like some people will would want to dress up but it's like this joker doesn't even have a point right because that's the whole point of the joker like i had a conversation with a friend recently about um we were talking about the idea of adaptation right so taking pre-existing ip uh which hollywood loves to do and how do you sort of like you know reshape that into the muffin tin of whatever it is you're trying to make and um that the important thing about adaptation is like, how do you preserve the essence of the character or the essence of the story? And to me, that is what feels sort of inescapably flawed about not even this execution of Joker, but the whole idea of trying to make a origin story about the Joker is like, the whole point of the Joker is that he's just arbitrarily crazy. Like he doesn't want anything. He's not driven by anything. He literally just wants to burn everything down for no reason. Like, that is the essence of his character. And I'm just like, I don't really... Like, the idea of, like, well, let's try to better understand why a person would do that. Again, I guess I just sort of fundamentally reject that that's a way people are. Not that people might not do horrible things because they're disillusioned with society. But that feels like such a black, like, scary kind of nihilism that just feels... I don't, I don't know, maybe that's naive of me. But that just feels inherently unrealistic. And that feels just, like, not very compelling as like the framework for a character or a story in the first place. Yeah. Well, and it, it's, it's super right wing, right? Because like the, oh, yeah. if you want to be, if you want to be like real about like the conversation around like mass shootings, right? Like these folks aren't mentally ill. They are, they have an ideology. Right. And like, it is all the more like insensitive and awful that like, the, that, like, Arthur Fleck Joker, like, this Joker is, like, mentally ill and decides to just, like, burn the world down because he's mentally ill. When the reality is, is, like, people, people who, like, people who, like, go and shoot up a place aren't, like, most mentally ill people aren't violent. They're, that is, like, statistically proven. And, like, so when people go and shoot up a place, it's because they have an ideology, because they've been reading, like, a fuck ton of white supremacist bullshit, or they're a part of some incel group that, like, that is, like, really pro-men's rights and, like, anti-women and anti, like, gender equality and stuff. Like, it's just, like, it's, and it's so disingenuous to, like, say, like, well, like, this person is, is is mentally ill and poor, and so therefore he wants to kill the rich, and that's terrible, and this is what happens. Right. No, totally. Do you want to, um, I guess pivoting slightly, do you want to unpack a little bit of, like, sort of like the cop ideology in the Batman universe? I know this is something we've talked about a little off this call, and I think that's an important 
kind of backdrop for all of this to go on. Yeah. So really interesting. Like, like I said, I, one of the things that is most, the, 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 the one of the things that I actually love about this movie, and it's probably the only thing I love about this movie is the portrayal of Thomas Wayne as like a billionaire asshole because I, and you know, I grew up on Batman. I love Batman, but the idea of Batman is really fucked up and like hardcore problematic <laughs> yeah. and like based in some really racist shit. Like, so, okay. So you're, you're, uh, you're in a society that is terrible and you're super rich, right? How you got that money, how you maintain that fortune totally has everything to do with exploitation, right? That not that, in the Batman universe, irrelevant. Not, he not just in has the money. Yeah, he just has money. We never know how he got it. He's just it's just assumed he's from old money, which means okay, so he exploited people back then. Like <laughs> Right. Like, he's not the one who exploited people. Yeah, his family. People did. in the past exploited people on his behalf. Right, because you don't you don't make a billion dollars. You take a billion dollars, right? And so then your answer to that is to uh, put on a mask and become the person that cops cannot be. Right? Right. Right. And it's like literal, like the, the ultimate like right wing fantasy of like private sector justice of like, oh, you'll do what the police cannot utilizing the massive wealth you have attained. And while simultaneously like being this very renowned figure in the public space and then moonlighting as a vigilante. <laughs> Right. And it's, it's also, and it's, it's incredibly individualistic, like individualistic, like, which is what makes this movie's like portrayal of like, like mass movements, like, and as like violent and like the poor as like, you know, violent, insane rioters, like all the more sinister because it's like the, I like Batman is just so, so the antithesis of like, what we actually need to transform society right and you hear you hear people justify it like uh like well bruce wayne g does give some money does give a lot of money to charity and it's like well a you don't know how fucked up charity is and how that's just an excuse and a cover-up to let billionaires not pay taxes and b uh what the fuck is efficient about developing all of this weapons technology and stuff and like not like trying to like actively change the systems that allowed you to get this much money in the first place. Totally. Right. I mean, and you know, dare I become the slightly more political one on this episode, which is not a challenge for one upmanship, Michael. Okay. So <laughs> chill out over there. But where I'm like, if you want to talk about the idea of like charity effectively as an alternative to meaningful systemic change that we say, not that there are not charities that do great work or indeed that there aren't religious groups who do meaningfully do good work, but that we've essentially created that as an alternate route because we say, well, we don't want to guarantee that people have education, healthcare, clean water, etc., but we can create private entities that can help offer what should be basic human rights. So I guess if we're linking that loosely back to, sure, the fictional Thomas Wayne or maybe how we talk about really rich people in general of like, oh, but they donate money, which I guess becomes a slightly different conversation as to the responsibility of individual rich people and as to the responsibility of like policy and large scale political change. But yeah. And also hot take Thomas Wayne isn't real. So the imaginary money he has donated to charity has done very little to advance society. <laughs> um, well, it's just, it, and uh, like the, the last couple things on this that I would say are like, I, I, 
I think this this message ignores like the racist history of like vigilantism, like that is totally. linked to cops. Like, and this is a whole separate episode that I would love to do about the links between Batman and Zorro and the Ku Klux Klan and vigilantism. So there is wow. there is there is that aspect of it that it could be a whole episode in of in and of itself. Um, but like, it's it's weirdly like it's weirdly race blind for Batman to be the person that does this, especially cause he's like a rich white billionaire. Um, like, and, and then like when you, when you look into it like a little bit further, like you, you have to understand like how get being a rich billionaire and racism are like hand in hand with each other. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a problem throughout the Batman universe, but then it comes into play in Joker. Right. Because right. I, like I think you were talking about this, Lily. Like, um, at least we talked about this on the on a pre call or a little bit. Is like everybody in this world is black or brown. Right. But... This feels so weird because I'm like, I guess if we're gonna riff off Michael's point, maybe some of you are out there listening and you're like, well, okay, the fact that you have a character, really a B character at best, who is a billionaire, isn't imminently relevant. Why is it his job to unpack the legacy of racism in relation to money? And I'm like, okay, okay, maybe some validity. But I'm like, this is a movie that does try to talk about race, but they're like, let's just never actually use the words race. Um, because Arthur, other than his coworkers, Everyone in Arthur's world is a person of color, um, including the teenagers who beat him up at the beginning. You know, but like his social worker is black. His neighbor is black. Like we go to great lengths to depict that he lives in a lower income community composed predominantly of people of color. And yet there's never any kind of recognition, even minor, of like that he is one of very few white people. And then it feels extra weird that our sympathies are strategically created to lie with a violent white man in a community of folks of color. And also not that we need to, I guess, go too hard on the B plot with his neighbor, but like very creepy, weird, wet dreams with her and her kid. And like that he breaks into her home and like, is like this very scary moment of like, is he going to rape her or murder her? And that it's still like, oh, but we should feel bad for him because he imagined that she was his girlfriend. And I'm like, mm, no, like, well, and, um, and, and it's, it's weird. It's even weirder in the fact that he's not even racist, which is just like, right. He's right. never, he's never shown doing anything racist. We like, don't see anyone do anything racist because like, there's literally no acknowledgement of race in this universe at all. Well, um, there's, there's, there's two slight moments. One is like when his, uh, social worker cuts off his, uh, his funding or lets him know that his funding is being cut off by the city. Uh, she's like, they don't care about you. They certainly don't care about people like me, but like, and it could be inferred. She is just talking about her job as a social worker. Totally. Um, or it could be that she's black and sure. that's a thing. Uh, it could be both. Um, and then the other is some white comedian makes a joke about having to change his name to like get around anti-Semitism in like job applications or something like oh, that. Yeah. But it's like they're they're both like little throwaways that are like not the point of the that are like not the point of the movie, which makes it all the more weird that like Arthur isn't racist at all, which is like right, which is like kind of how like we haven't achieved like, I mean, like in my opinion, we haven't achieved like 
change, meaningful change in this country because racism gets in the way of trying to address like common class, yeah. yeah, common class interests, and like by not a so the fact that this movie doesn't address it makes it all the more weird. Totally. Um, I'd like to loop back around a little bit to this idea of kill the rich, because this is the closest to any kind of coherent thesis or idea that this movie offers. Um, so again, following uh, Arthur's murder of these three douchey Wall Street Wayne Enterprise bros on the subway, this somehow creates a mass movement of people who dress like clowns and are just wreaking havoc question mark like they're not doing anything specific but they're dressed like clowns and they're upset also begs questions like how did anyone know that he was dressed like a clown because he killed all of the witnesses like uh, how did this get out we do not know um but uh this creates a lot of uh very tastefully designed props of newspapers and stuff of like ah oh, the clowns say kill the rich i'm sorry i just can't not laugh because having to say it out loud i'm like this actually makes no sense um so i guess class commentary is maybe the thing that crystallizes the most um it certainly feels i guess more comprehensive than it's commentary on mental illness, but I find it very interesting that this is the same year that Parasite came out, um, which obviously went on to slay at the Oscars and be a generally awesome movie. Uh, let me be clear, I am not saying Parasite is on the same level as Joker. I do not think that at all. Um, but a film that tackles, I guess in very broad strokes, similar concepts of like class struggle and socioeconomic inequality, but that to me, um, if we were to start a, a short list of where Parasite excels, where Joker does not, I think for me that comes in at Parasite's commentary on the rich. And I realize we are talking about one family of rich people, but honestly, it's not like Joker is doing any better. It's not like Joker is offering like a sweeping commentary on like a class of the wealthy. Like the only specific wealthy people in this movie are Thomas Wayne, who has like two scenes. Um, but that Parasite's portrayal of the rich really shows them as these sheltered, spoiled, naive, almost children who are like incapable of doing anything for themselves. That so much of like their, I don't know, inadvertent cruelty or ambivalence stems from like just sort of being so paralyzed by their own wealth that they don't really know how to get out from under it. Which to me feels far more accurate if we're going to talk about like in like the sins of individually wealthy people. Right, that it is like, oh, you're so sort of like drowning in comfort and ease of life that you, if we're going to talk about, I guess, lack of um, empathy or humanity for your fellow man, I think it, Parasite comes much closer to offering like a realistic cause for that. Whereas Joker's commentary becomes, well, the problem with individual wealthy people is that they're like high school bullies who want to beat everybody up and yell at people. And I'm like, that doesn't... That certainly feels less nuanced, but also just feels sort of, like, not true. Um, and that, to me, is, like, I think a significant sticking point in, like, where whatever ideology Joker was trying to deconstruct just sort of falls apart. Um, combined with the fact that they are trying to tackle, at least it would feel, more systemic wrongs, but then they're never able to go there. 
right? In a way that the whole point of Parasite is it's these two specific families. And so we're able to get a little bit more micro, but it feels like Joker was trying to be very macro, but then again, it was left on a whiteboard somewhere in a studio and they never got around to it. Yeah, you see, you see traces of it in Joker where like, you know that like the city's, like Arthur's funding gets cut, right? Right. Uh, and so like, I know that like, well, why does city funding get cut? Usually it's because rich people decide they don't want the public to pay for shit anymore. Totally. Um, and they don't want their taxes raised or whatever. And so they have weaponized, they have weaponized like the idea of city services as a racist thing that is like giving handouts to black and brown people. And so that's why it gets cut, right? So it's not even like this movie offers like a nuanced explanation for that. It just goes, oh yeah, it's shitty. So like if you if you right. want to like kind of connect the dots, you can see a little bit of a through line between like Thomas Wayne's like uh, toying with running for mayor and like the fact that the city is so terrible. But like it it's it's all a leap, and it it's like right. I feel right, and I don't think you want to like, cater to your audience of like, oh, your audience is too dumb to figure things out for themselves. But it feels like since the whole kind of in for this world is that we are leaning into this very heavily stylized sort of, uh, what's the word I'm trying to say? Like, uh, it's not clear when exactly this film is set. It's sort of ambiguous. Um, I mean, it leans very much into films from, like, the 70s and 80s, but we never get, like, a title card, right? And you, you kind of get, like... I feel like all Joaquin Phoenix movies, like, her... Like, you're like, ah, it feels kind of like now. Like, everyone wears J. Crew pants. Like, makes sense. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, anyway, I guess not... Yes, I, I agree, Michael. Not to say you couldn't connect the dots, but that, to me, just feels like lazy writing or, like, bad world building um, because it doesn't feel like those dots are... I feel like you're asking a lot of imagination on your audience's behalf. Not that you can't get there, but that then I'm like, okay, but I feel like you're really weakening whatever point you were trying to make. And I guess going back to this idea of like, oh, like what's the commentary on like, uh, like this new class of angry clown vigilantes spawned by Arthur's weird rage issues. Um, that it, it feels like this very uncomfortable, like conflation of, the alt-right and the alt-left into just sort of like one big mess of angry people, which is like not true and very problematic. And as much as I would imagine that maybe they were going for more of like a Trump era alt-right folks, like kind of everything about how they frame this group of people feels far more like you're demonizing activists or people on the left for like, oh, I can't believe they're so angry and they want stuff. Um... You said it, not me. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Michael said it in the notes. I'm saying it to you now. So together, we are a good team. Um, <laughs> well, I just, I, you know, as an activist who is trying to build social movements, this is so frustrating because it's like, you know, like if you want to, you want to talk about, you want to talk about like riots, okay? Like, let's talk about the biggest riots to happen in recent memory, which I would not even call riots. Riots is a racist term. I would call them uprisings, uh, which were, you know, the responses to police brutality this over the past like year and a half. Right. Mm -hmm. And in these, in these uprisings, like there is looting. 
Uh, there's some debate over, like, how much is happening and what's going on. But, like, people aren't going around killing people. The only people killing people are police. Like, people are going around and, like, robbing stores which have exploited communities like Dollar Tree or Target, right? All in these stores, these stores have insurance. And so, right. like, like, and, and they're all, and they're doing it for a reason of, like, they cannot get change even within electing, like, good democratic leaders to, like, hold the police and the criminal justice system accountable. Right, so, they're not, like, driving ambulances into people's houses just to, like, quote, wreak chaos. Like, no one is doing that. No, the only people killing people are the police, right? Like, that's that's what's happening. The police and white supremacists, right? Like, we had a whole incident in, in Kenosha, uh, trigger warning for people, but, like... Uh, the police just stood by while a 17-year-old kid who crossed state lines just shot a bunch of people randomly. Yeah. And it was, it was state, it was basically, it was the furthest extension of state-sanctioned violence you can get, right? And so it's, it's weird to me to then see, like, like, and you, you set all of that aside and you look at, like, how actual social movements, like, the movements I'm trying to build and the movements that a lot of black organizers I know are trying to build are largely peaceful and don't even, don't do looting or anything. Right. Um, and, like, it's just, it's a weird, like, like, it's a weird conflation because when you see Antifa show up, it's not like they're there to, like, hit the police or attack the police. They're there to defend people. Also, isn't there, like, a whole conversation about how, like, Antifa aren't even really a group? Like, this was a term that was sort of coined in isolation and, like, no one really knows who it belongs to? Yeah, Antifa is not an org. There, There's no official org. They don't meet. There's no one appointed. They're all just random people of... Unlike good the KKK, an actual group. Yeah. A website. Yeah, they're all just good Samaritans who show up at protests to defend people from right-wing fascists. Right? And, you know, this gets back into conversations we've had on the show about, like, the link between the link between capitalism and fascism that I think is just so, so crucial here. And it's just, it's just really disheartening to see a message, like, where basically the poor people are just uncoordinated, violent, mentally ill lunatics and, you know... They brought this on themselves through the choices they made, but also this the, the world's kind of shitty because the rich are kind of shitty, so it's shitty because it's so it's kind of justified, but it's like it's still their choice too. Right. As if like you know, there's ever such a thing as a perfect victim in a really flawed right, society. Right. Wow, that is a hot take. Totally. Um, and that I just feel that this is sort of like a lose lose, no matter how you frame it. And uh, this is the last time I'll harp on this, and then I'll we can we can start wrapping it up. But. Um, mm -hmm. I, yeah, where it's like, okay, so either, like, whether we're going to put this specifically on Todd Phillips or this genre of film in general, of like, okay, so either you were, either you had no political agenda, you were like, well, we're just telling a story, we're just telling the origin story about Joker, Gotham is a fictional place, so the idea that he created this group of followers who are arbitrarily violent and just want chaos. We're not commenting on anything. This is an isolated universe that we have made of our own volition. To which I would say, that's pretty stupid and very lazy. Um, that you're like, oh, no one will draw any real world parallels to this. I'm like, well, that feels really dumb. 
And I don't think that's true. I think they were trying to comment on real world issues. But then I'm like, okay, but then the, this imaginary group of, again, <laughs> clown mass vigilantes you've created sort of feel like they're modeled off nobody. Like you're like, well, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a third party, non-political group of angry people. And I'm like, well, then who are you talking about? And for you to just not take a stance, again, feels like we're trying very hard to be political within both a, a, uh, a general cultural atmosphere and a universe that is trying to be political. And then that either feels really lazy or incredibly stupid, depending on, uh, depending on how you want to slice it. Um, I guess where I would like us to um, start start leaning, Michael, if that's okay. Um, I would like to touch just briefly on the idea of superhero movies in general. And I fully, I, I, I uh, recognize my amateur status here. This is not uh, <laughs> my most knowledgeable uh, uh, sector of Hollywood. So well, before I, you get into that, can, yeah, yeah. Do the, I think the best person to end this take on is I would like to quote boots riley directly on this because oh, i think yeah. yeah 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 please i think his take is 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 the apt transition into like the superhero movies in general but like yes please yeah boots riley uh probably the most prominent leftist filmmaker in hollywood today uh he's like a an avowed communist he made sorry to bother you and he's a rapper uh like a successful rapper too dude's really prolific um but he was asked about joker and he had praise for joaquin phoenix and some of the craft in the movie, but he ultimately said this. The truth is that these superhero movies are cop movies and cop stories, cop shows and cop movies are all about saying one thing, that those in poverty are there because they made the wrong choices, that the impoverished are in poverty because of their own mistakes and their own shortcomings, and it has nothing to do with the system. The Joker movie reinforces that by telling you not only are these folks there because of who they are, but that the poor folks are stupid and when they rebel, it's because they're angry and actually rich people had nothing to do with them being poor. In actuality, those that are rich got rich off exploiting the workers. Absolutely. Right, and then I think Joker like kind of tries to split the difference with like, well, but rich people are mean. And it's like, right, but rich people are not responsible within the world of Joker. Rich people are not responsible for any of the suffering or problems of the poor, nor really of joaquin phoenix's character specifically right i mean i guess at best we have thomas wayne is very rude to him which is not great but is also not the same as like large-scale political grievances um so yeah yeah shout i just out to shout out to boots riley that's a, yeah, a great quote it, yeah it's just todd phillips doesn't really have any politics and he he does not know how to admit that. And so he made a movie in which he both says that he doesn't and does have politics. Right. Which so. it makes no sense. You, that is, <laughs> I just posted a thing on Instagram about where I was like, how scared should I be of like guys on hinge who list their political stance as moderate? I'm like, what does that mean right now? Like I'm a moderate. I was like, what? Like you're like a soft Republican. Like, I just don't know what that means. So, uh, yeah, can, can, uh, uh, can agree. Um, <laughs> Uh, but so, superhero yes. stories. But superhero stories. Again, not my forte. So I hope if my friend Casey is listening, I don't need like some really salty commentary about how like I didn't read comic book number 11. Okay. Because whatever, I can still have this opinion based upon the modern canon. Um, but I think that uh, based on a lot of my reading of how Joker was developed, what their approach was. And uh, Mike, I sent this video earlier, but of like, you know, Todd Phillips talking about, you know, the kinds of movies that he loved, 
you know, like early Martin Scorsese shit, whatever, right? Like, oh, those movies would never get made now. And so, you know, the only kinds of movies we really make with any meaningful financial backing are franchise movies, which is true. Um, and so his thought process was sort of like, oh, well, how do you make, what if we made a superhero movie uh, that was reminiscent of those kinds of 70s and 80s iconic films that tackle, he, he cites Network, um, he cites Taxi Driver, both movies that are definitely about something. Um, and, you know, so how do we kind of get the best of both worlds and incorporate those vibes into a superhero movie? And I guess I'm very torn about how I feel about that, even as a statement, not that I am confused by or disagree with uh, the pretty undeniable truth behind that, right? Hollywood does not make mid-budget films anymore. What we consider to be independent films are low-budget films with actors of note that can then get picked up at like a Sundance, Sundance or a South By and get large distribution. And beyond that, the idea of like, oh, like a really, quote, independent filmmaker does not really exist anymore. There is no meaningful backing for small or medium-sized films. So... I guess I get where Todd is coming. Also, I just can't believe his name is Todd. Like, I'm like, yeah, Todd, I get where you're coming from. Like, ew, no. Um, but that I feel like there's now been this massive movement to like, well, how do you like subvert or resurrect the superhero movie? How do you take superhero stories and make them about something meaningful? And I maybe I just find that to be sort of like an inherently like uninteresting, sort of vaguely disrespectful concept. Um, and I guess... Even if we have listeners out there who love superhero movies and want to... I don't have Twitter, so you can't yell at me on Twitter, but who want to DM me. I'm not this popular. I don't know why I'm conflating a world where people want to yell at me on social media. Um, but you, you want to have a hot take for us about it. Like, oh, I'm undermining the value of the superhero narrative. But where I'm just like, why can't we just make good original content? And the fact that you even have to cater to a machine that will not consider a great script unless it fits into a genre of work that you can sell pajamas and coffee mugs modeled after your protagonist. I just don't care about at all. Um, and uh, I don't know if you got a chance to review the uh, frighteningly terrible trailer for Cruella, uh, the origin film about Cruella DeVille starring Emma Stone. And it is uh. so hard, like trying to be like, oh, it's like Joker but about Cruella DeVille. And it looks terrible. And I'm sorry, it's not Emma Stone's fault. Like, I don't think there's a lot to work with there. But I feel like that, um, obviously on a, a, a more tragic scale than Joker, I think that they certainly, I think Joker certainly succeeds at certain degrees of craftsmanship or performance or whatever, whereas Cruella just looks like a hot trash fire. Um, but that I feel it's that of, as uh, my friend Henry once told me, you can't make sushi out of canned tuna. And that's kind of what I feel is happening in the superhero universe. I'm just like, guys, you just can't, like, how do we make a profound film out of, this kernel of stuff we have. And I'm just like, maybe don't make it, try and make a profound film. Maybe just go make a profound film. And uh, maybe there will not be any, you know, like themed sleeping bags in relation to the film you have created, but isn't that not the point? Um, so yeah, that's, that's my two cents. I'm just like, just go make good films and uh, they don't need to be part of a massive superhero universe. <laughs> yeah, so there, there are a couple of things in there. One is like, and I wrote an article for this, um, for Merry Go Round magazine back when it was called Crossfader, back when Wonder Woman oh, came shit. out. Oh, shit. Um, where, uh, uh, it was back, it was back when Wonder Woman came out and everybody loved Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman is, I think, a terrible movie, but people were really happy it existed because of, um, 
because of what it represented, which was a woman superhero. Right. Uh, and so it was a big deal, but it ignored, for me, what people were missing was the underlying structures that like led to that, which is like corporate consolidation in Hollywood, right? Like there are five major studios now. These movies cost a ton of money. Showing a movie in theaters costs a ton of money, so you need to spend a lot of money. So in order to do that, you have to be able to get like ancillary rights out of things like merchandising and toys and all that stuff, happy meals and all that stuff, right? Like to go with it. And, um, and it comes down to like, how much risk do you want to take? So that's why, that's why people cling to an existing IP. But then even going further on that, uh, like comic, comic book stuff. Like, uh, I think since the eighties, we have just been in this like mindset of catering to our thir the 13 year old white boy and right. we are now we're in a phase where we're trying to do the edgy 13 year old white boy um but wow, also that's but way also scarier the edgy 13 year old white boy a hundred times scarier than straight edge 13 year old white boy right but but also but also make it make it diverse right you know because now we're doing it for women and we're doing it for for non-white boys you know boys of color wow. Uh, so we're, 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 we're mixing it up. Right. Um, and it's, it's just weird. Like, because again, like if I, you can't like the more you look at superhero movies, the more problematic they become on so many levels. Like there've been tons of stuff out there about like the link between the Marvel cinematic universe and the military industrial complex. Right, right. Like there, there are obvious links. Um, well, I shouldn't say obvious. There are to me now in hindsight and just through careful study, very clear links between Batman and Superman and the KKK uh, and the idea of vigilantism in this country, which is just super problematic. Like it's not to say that like there can't be good stuff. Like I think um, the Watchmen show from Damon Lindelof yeah. that came out on HBO was like probably the most interesting, like nuanced take on superheroes I've seen in a while and, like, you know, I think the MCU is very problematic and also, like, the most, one of the coolest, most unprecedented literary adaptations of our time, right? Like, they took a whole comic book universe and yeah. ad adapted it into, like, a 21-plus mega franchise. And that's, that's cool. Uh, but this stuff and the need to cater to this stuff is really crowding out a space. Um, and... It's, I don't know, like, are we going to get, would we get an edgy version of the Joker with, like, a black character? I don't know. Uh, right. I think that, or a woman character, like, I, I don't know that we would. Right, so. see, but I would take that, I would take that a step further, Michael, and I would say, but that is not what we're fighting for. I really don't give a shit about a world, and I, I understand your point of, like, right, but is the only reason that we're able to have a, quote, edgy version depicting the, quote, gritty lifestyle of a, quote, anti-hero, is that only really allowed because he is a white man? And to that I would say, yes, probably, and I think, I, I recognize what you're saying, and I think that's valid, but I just think there is now way too much emphasis, not even through representation in general but representation in the superhero universe where i'm like are you fucking kidding me like this is what we're fighting for the hope is that like any director any woman of color could eventually direct a marvel movie and like you know marvel if you're looking at me i haven't directed yet but you know for enough money i would grudgingly accept but i'm just like that's bullshit like, that's <laughs> insane that's not what we're fighting for um, and I don't know, maybe fighting is a dramatic word, like, oh, I am personally at the forefront of whatever, but I just feel that that, 
at its core misses what we talk about when we say diverse storytelling or new voices or different perspectives. And the idea isn't how do you slap a different colored Barbie doll onto the label of like the same shit we've been making for 20 years. Like it is. Um, and I think Boots Riley is a, is a wonderful example of this. I was not necessarily a huge fan of Sorry to Bother You, but you certainly have to commend like that is a level of out of the box that is pretty rare. And the fact that that movie was both made and got like, you know, I, I saw it in a theater here in Boise, Idaho, and that's got to count for something I think is very significant. Um, but I just think that we should be championing more of championing, 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 championing. Thank you. That. We should do more of that for, um, yeah, for, I think, really visionary directors. And that that should, that Hollywood needs to see that as something they can tackle systemically through the allocation of money and not just celebrate when people are sort of, um, dare I say, accidentally able to make those films despite a system that essentially squeezes them out from being able to get any kind of financing or distri distribution for their work. Um, so I guess I will, I will leave that there. Uh, no, full send on that, and I cannot wait for this recording to be thrown in your face like 20 years from now when you get chosen okay. to direct the latest Marvel totally. movie, and they'll be like, yeah. here's what she said, and you're gonna have to be like, yeah. I was a different person then. Okay, I fuck really you, Michael. Glad. Don't fucking tag me on Twitter about this, okay? <laughs> um... Again, can we talk about how, like, strong my imaginary Twitter presence is? Like, in my mind, I'm just... I am Donald Trump-level tweeting all the time, and I have not used Twitter since I was 14, and I used it to retweet a lot of Benedict Cumberbatch memes, and uh, <laughs> since that time, have not been super active. So, um, no, please do not follow me. You're not, you're not missing much, because if you are... Twitter is just, like, peak, like, social media outrage culture. Right. So no, Twitter totally. is, like, the joker of social media yikes okay well then i'm i'm staying off there um okay well great well thank you everyone so much for joining us um we are contemplating what our next episode will be but uh if yeah, you have if thoughts you have, tell us yeah if you have thoughts please tell us if you have like suggestions you're like hey you guys should totally talk about this movie um i have to believe we're up to like 80 listeners now so you basically what i'm telling you is you've got a lot of input because this is a very small fan base Blockbusted is an independently produced podcast created by Lily Yasuda and Michael Wolf. Our theme song is Retro Future Clean by Kevin McLeod. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Music, or anywhere else you choose to get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe, and if it is on Apple Music, take the time to leave a positive review so other listeners can find us. If you have thoughts, comments, or future episode suggestions, feel free to reach out at blockbustedpod at gmail.com. That's blockbustedpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.